Hey everybody, Rick here, Rick Radio. Actually, I am in the middle of a uh, name change here, possibly. I was uh, my guest today. Um, Arlena, please say hello. Hey everyone, nice to be here. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking with us. And um, Arlena's going to share her story, but we were talking about my name, Rick Radio, and you you made a great point that no one really knows what I'm talking about with that name. <laughs> So, yeah, I was so, like, hey, let's call it Rick Recovery Radio. <laughs> yeah, so we'll keep the triple R's, and uh, so we're going to go at Rick Recovery Radio. You know, I actually just uh, actually paid for uh, somebody to, to do a jingle for me, and it's uh, Rick Radio, but it's very, uh, very feminine. So I'm not sure if I'm using it or if I'm going to go with the, with the Rick, Rick Recovery <laughs> But it's it's very it's like bells and it, you know it's like oh Rick Radio and I was like well, I don't oh. know about that but anyway thank you so much for doing this I know you you have a, your own podcast and you're a very busy woman so thank you very much so um let's just start with the basics here uh, tell sure. us about a, a little bit like your childhood and maybe you know through like high school and if, you know and talk about if there was ever you noticed any problems you know in in your childhood that you know you might have that addictive personality or if there's any kind of i don't know if there's anything happened to you or that you went through as a child yeah sure um yeah so i uh grew up in the um san jose bay area and my parents are super nice people um my dad he's like a government guy right so he was like right. he was like a marine and um, but super nice guy, uh, very Christian on my, on my dad's side of the family was like 400 years of ministers and, right. uh, <laughs> a lot of, so a lot of religion and, um, on my mom's right, very side, strict, she, probably. actually, um, he was kind of strict, but not, he wasn't like a drill sergeant Marine guy. Right. Um, right. <laughs> he, yeah, he wasn't like that kind of guy. He was in the Marines um, as an officer to go through school. So he was, um, he was actually he, a super nice guy. You know, neither one of my parents um, drank or used drugs. They're very like middle-class, hardworking people. My, my mom is actually from Mexico city and um it just really nice, hardworking people, right? Super straight. Right. And, um, but, uh, when I was, um, really young, uh, there was a, um, a neighbor that moved in and a two, they had two girls and, uh, one, you know, looking back, I think she must've been, um, sexually abused because she, um, abused me in turn. And I was just this nice little girl and didn't know, I didn't have any boundaries or so, and it was this big secret and I grew up in the church. And so I had, you know, from a very young age had this feeling like I was a bad person. And, um, and then, yeah, it was, it was, you know, I had to do a lot of therapy around it because, um, at, at a very young age, I thought there was something really wrong with me and I was just really bad. And, um, and then my parents divorced when I was about six or seven, and I couldn't help but feel like if I had just been a good girl, this never would have happened, right? So right. Um, from early on, I was fighting this self-image that, um, you know, that I wasn't good enough and that I was bad. And so I really feel like, you know, taking a step back and looking at all of all of my life, you know, I feel like that's really where my disease and dysfunction started as at a very young age. 
So, um, well, I can't, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, I look at, you know, I have two young daughters and I'm recently divorced and that's like my biggest fear is that they are somehow going to try to attribute, you know, the, the, the divorce or that are, that their parents couldn't stay together because of them. I mean, that's just a very scary thought for a, a, for a parent, you know, because it's a lot like, you know, I mean, the children are the last reason or, you know, I mean, at least in my relationship, right. the last reason that, that we, you know, we divorced and, you know, 99.9% of the problem was their father. Um, but <laughs> I mean, that's, that's scary. That's really scary to me. Yeah. And I think, and, you know, I when I was, when I was growing up, they, there just wasn't that, um, mindset of therapy and talking things through and being sensitive to certain, um, ways children act out. And you know what I mean? It's like they yeah. are parent. My parents just didn't have that kind of awareness. Right. Whereas you, um, I don't know how old, how old are your girls? They're 10 and eight or 10. Yeah. 10 and eight. 10 and 8. Yeah. So, um, you know, you have an opportunity. Yeah. I mean, you're you're um raising these girls in an era where um where we have we have therapy and and we understand that we need to talk to our kids about their feelings and when they're acting out, you know, it's typically a sign of um some sort of fear that's manifesting and so we don't react to it the way maybe our parents would have you know what I mean yeah no absolutely I mean I you, as a parent as you, you know going through this now I mean I really try to stay on to make sure that we talk about our feelings and it's okay to express them yeah and it's okay to cry and it's okay to be upset you know but w- there has to be a solution at the end of that we have to come up with the you know I, I, the worst thing for me is just to have them be emotionally unstable and not dealing with it and then have them just figure a right. way to deal with it themselves I mean that's I I got I hope and pray that you know this is being handled the right way. But I can't imagine like for you as a little girl to go through the trauma with the neighbor and then have the parents. I mean, when you're not talking about yeah, it, and as a matter of it. fact, so this it wasn't a single occurrence. It happened multiple times, and it so this the thing that really um, warped my mind is that and I and I have come to understand that um, survival survivors of sexual abuse often feel guilty because your body will respond to stimulation right so um there were times you know right you know where i felt like okay this feels good and um there was a time when my mother actually walked in on her doing stuff to me and um she freaked out and it was like screaming and shaming and um, I mean, it was terrible, and I was embarrassed. I was humiliated and embarrassed and, and ashamed. And then it was like we're never speaking of this again, yeah. type of thing. And so, yeah, I mean, it wasn't oh, like she man. didn't understand what was going on, you know. And as I, you know, it's interesting, Rick, is that when I grew up, and right. you know, as an adult, I, we kind of touched on it one time early in my recovery. I think she was talking about that girl, and um, you know, that woman really. And, she was like, I don't know why you were friends with her, the way she treated you when you were younger. And I was like, you know what? Somebody did that to right. her. There, you know what I mean? It's like somebody did that right. to her first. You know, she was a child yeah. too. And so I've, I, I. Well, that's, that, that response is not, 
that is not a response I think most people would have. I mean, that just that just shows the maturity level and the place that you're at. In your yeah, that you would that's speak therapy. Like. You know, I mean, to 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 talk about the yeah the to talk about the predator in your life, and and you look at it as what well, what did this yeah. poor girl go through? I mean, that that is that just shows. Yeah, you know, I I have I have I mean, you know, and I'm grateful that uh, um that. You know, it's kind of interesting because they say that, you know, we learn in recovery that we learn to take our character defects and turn them into assets. And, you know, I always wanted to be somebody else. So I was always trying to make myself better. And, um, you know, it started out like that was that idea was rooted in I'm not good enough. However, I've been able to sort of take that and shift it a little bit to not I'm not trying to get better out of hatred anymore. I'm trying to get better because I love myself. And so that that was really the shift. Right. The shift was, you know, I um you know, they say there's at the end of the day there's all feelings are rooted in either love or fear. And um and I have traded my fear for right. love and uh you know, it's 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 just been interesting. It's been a process, but wow. yeah, I mean, it wasn't easy, and and those fears, you yeah. know, took me to really dark places. You know, the whole I started drinking and using right. uh, very young. I was about ten when I had my my first drink. Um, yeah, my parents were divorced, and wow. my mom had gone out on a date, and my I have an older sister, and she and I were left home alone. My sister's like a couple years older than me. She's super straight. She was always the good girl, and I was always the other one. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, I was a troublemaker. Trouble. And, uh, but one night yeah. my mom had gone out. My sister and I were left home alone, and I decided it would be a good idea to drink some of the booze that was in this dusty old bottle under the cupboard that somebody had left or something. Right. And um, I remember right. that first drink like it was yesterday because it it burned my, you know, I mixed it with juice and stuff, but still it burnt my lips. It burnt all the way down. And then when it hit bottom, mm. that warmth that spread through my whole body was just magical. And I mm-hmm. didn't realize how bad I felt until I felt good because there was that juxtaposition between suddenly I had something to compare it to, right? It was like that everything that I felt about myself right. had suddenly been removed. And I felt amazing. I felt funny, beautiful, smart, hopeful for my future. I mean, at 10, you know. Yeah. I know, you know I, that feeling. I know. I I mean, look, I'm in recovery yeah, also. I know the feeling. I mean, the feeling of, and I always say it's my, I was wearing, you know, XXL you know, skin, and I drank, and my right? skin fit perfectly. I was taller, had more hair, and I was funnier. And yeah. I could deal with life. I could deal with the pain of life. And it it, it was, you know, I, just holding the right. bottle gave me relief. And and that's, that is, yeah, I mean, I was like you. I mean, I found it early, found and I found the piece early, you know, and I found in, yeah, know, I that, mean, listen, you, it yeah. doesn't. It wow. sounds like experience where we really didn't know how to manage our feelings, right? Right. No. It's a, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, I grew up in a divorced family. Also, I mean, it was a little different. Like I saw my dad every single day, you know. But my mom worked, and so we were home alone a lot. And there was always those times, and there was always those incidents where 
I didn't feel normal, and the alcohol made it better. And that, that's just, you know, it, look, it, you're going to find your place. And for, for whatever reason, you know, you had to find that bottle underneath in the dusty cabinet or the dusty bottle underneath the cabinet. Like, that's just where you had to be. And, look, you, you found peace in that. And it's unfortunate that that peace turns to a nightmare. And yeah. then. <laughs> you know, you get us now, and you get me now in my late thirties trying yeah. to figure well, out life again. Well, listen, so, late thirties or not, well, I mean, I know people who never get it. So, you know, we're the lucky ones, to be honest. Right. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Well, I mean, that. So, so you get so t- so. I mean, so, so what happened? Okay, so, so, now- <laughs> so I have this first drink, and I feel amazing. But the evening, and listen, I'm I'm drinking by myself. My sister wasn't drinking or anything like that, and. Um, sick, but, um, my mom, my sister, um, cleaned me up and put me to bed and she never oh, told nice. my mother. Oh, yeah. that's a good, that's a good wingman there. That's a, that's a good code. Kind of up, that's that's yeah, what her sisters but, are for. Right. I know. Right. So she, she cleans me up, she puts me to bed. And I remember asking her years later, I was like, how come you never said anything to mom? And she said, because I would have gotten in trouble too. And I was like, isn't that interesting? You know, years later when I ended up doing my, you know, step work and inventory and stuff like that, I could see our family dynamic was that uh, we were responsible for each other. You know, I, I grew up not taking responsibility for myself and expecting other people to try to make me happy. It was kind of right. weird, and and that was where it started, right? Right in the very beginning. Yeah. But um, I mean, but that's what we do is we we. I mean, I've done it in relationships. You, I look for someone else to give me peace. If I can't, like, mm-hmm. let's take alcohol out of the situation. I I can be an addict in every part of my life, and I can do it with girls. I can do. I mean, so oh, yeah. I, I just I just substitute you know the thing and where yeah, like you said. I mean, you guys were your, you guys were your guys' peacemakers. I mean, you guys kept each other totally. alive. Yeah, yeah so. absolutely, absolutely. So, um, but that sort of started set the tone for like our my alcoholic our alcoholic codependent relationship, and it went on like that for years. And um, I did a lot of damage in that relationship. I didn't treat my sister very well, and you know it was it was rough. But I could also see that that she used me too because um, as she was doing, you know, I was like being this horrible person and. And, you know, she could point to me, you know, and, and claim, like, see all the things I do for you and see how bad you right. treat me. And she was the victim. And um, right. so, she, you know, it's just kind of sick and twisted, but that's how it was. And, right. Um, it went on well, like she, that for years. Right. Man. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. it's it's just the it's just the way it was supposed to be, I guess, right? I mean, that's just yeah. I mean, it's just we didn't know any different, and there wasn't, you know, like, and I was like you, you know, my mom was working all the time too, so she and I were left home alone, and it was kind of my mom and I uh, would just butt heads. I mean, um, she she was she has changed so much over the years. I have so I have two boys, and. I will tell them. I said, you know that nice little lady that comes over here? That is not yeah. the bitch that raised me. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> no, I don't. I don't call her that. I don't say that to, to my kids. But it's you know, that's true, how though. I. Exactly that's true. how I feel yeah. though, because she is so sweet now. But um, you know, she was angry. You know, so it's you know when I when I speak at meetings and things like that. You know, I, I typically start out with 
you know, when I was growing up, I had my two predominant feelings were guilty and wrong, you know, because I was living with a woman, her two feelings, I mean, she had two feelings too. She was either really happy or really pissed. And I felt like she saved her happy face for the outside world. I just felt like behind closed doors, she was always pissed at me. Nothing was ever clean enough. I didn't do enough. I was, you know, just on and on. I mean, now, was it but the same way with your sister? Yeah, or did you just I get mean, the brunt of it. She was uh she was hard on my sister but in different ways. So, um I I was very I was a lot like her. I mean, I was very um I've always been really ambitious. I've always had a job. I've always worked hard and and my sister was all, and I'm not like at the go-getter. And my sister was like very passive. She was very like bookwormy. Um, she would, uh, she was the compliant child. She always, you know, just did what she had to do to get by and to stay under the radar. Um, but I think my mother respected me more. But um, she, my mom was always on my sister to be different. You know, just super right. critical, like hypercritical, always trying to change her. And the only time she really showed her like that sweet side that, you know, you think moms are supposed to have. Um, right. The only time she showed that is when my sister got sick. And so she, my sister, you know, to this day um, gets sick all the time, like has all kinds of like ailments all the time. And it seems like um, my mother taught her that the only way she could get love was to be sick. So it was just kind of trippy. And I just was super rebellious. I was kind of, I've always been kind of balled out, you know, like I'm going to, light the world on fire right um so she and i were just my sister and i were just super different and so the way we interacted with my mom was just totally different but um yeah i i just turned to drugs and alcohol Uh at an early age to try to to cope with my i always had really big were you were you like that too like just really big feelings and then not knowing what to do with all that oh absolutely i was Yes. That, I mean, look, I, I was raised pretty much in a house with a mom and a sister. So I was very in touch with my feelings. And, you know, it was okay to cry. And it was okay to, I mean, yes, absolutely. And I was always like, this is the worst event ever, ever <laughs> happened in my life until the next event. Yeah. And then that was the biggest event that's ever happened to me. And how am I supposed to manage this? And you guys don't understand. I'm the boy. You're like, it was yeah. mayhem in there. But it was a good mayhem. I mean, it, look, it was, it wasn't negative. It's just, I was raised yeah. two, two women. So, yeah, I had I was in touch with my parents yeah. 100%. Well, it's just kind of funny because <laughs> I knew it, it's were. just kind of funny because it's like we have these big feelings and we don't know what to do with them and sometimes we're just all over the place and and I just feel like my mom didn't know what to right. do with me and so her response to my big feelings was to get angry and to you know, and I would learn to shove that shit down, you know? I learned to just um right, right, stuff right. it. And then, you know, it would come out right. sideways and, you know, especially when I was drinking. And I I joke around that, like, when I was drinking, I had two alter egos. It was either Wimpy, wimpy Wendy right. or Badass Betsy because I was either crying or fighting. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Bad, yeah badass, badass Betsy. Betsy. She was, yeah, she was, she was a wild, wild one. one. It was either I was either fighting or crying. And then I recently I was like, you know what? Even my alter egos had an alter ego because slutty Karen would always come out somewhere <laughs> along the evening. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> she showed, she only showed up once in a while, but when she showed it up, was it on. was bad. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just kind of funny because uh, you know, I my tagline is that if it was in a bottle, a bag, or blue jeans, I was doing it. <laughs> I was anything right. I could get my hands on and change the way I felt. You know, it was. You know, and that was kind of the thing when I was right. growing up is, you know, we were sort of, you know, we played with Barbies and we, you know, grew up listening to stories about Cinderella and the knight in shining armor was going to come save you. And, you know, all you need is a man and your life will be perfect, you know, and, and I've totally bought into that. And so I right. thought that if I just fell in love, then my life, then I would be healed. Then my life would be perfect. And um, so I've, that's what I was chasing the dream. I was chasing the dream of being in love. Um, I thought that would fix me. The drugs and alcohol I thought would fix me. And, you know, um, my teenage years were rough. And in a way, I feel like the drugs and alcohol kind of saved me. Because if I had to feel everything that I was feeling about myself, I don't know that I would have survived. You know, those are... I don't know about you, uh, if your teenage years were dark, but teenage years are rough. Yeah, I, you know, I was definitely, I don't know if they were dark, but I, I definitely was trying to find yeah. myself still. You know, like I was definitely trying to figure out where my place was. Like, was it an athlete? Was it, you know, I was in a band? Was it like, I didn't know where. Yeah, I was you kind of have to try on a lot of personality. Just, yeah, for sure. I mean, and I think, I mean, I would imagine everyone goes through that. That's not just a, an alcoholic thing. True. I mean, it's, you're, as a teenager, you don't know where you fit, you know, like you're, you, you know, you hang out with the cool kids. You Like it's that whole environment of you're now you're getting a lot of freedom and where do I fit in this world? That's a hard, I mean, that's tough that's for tough. a kid, I think. I mean, that's not, that's, I mean, we all have to go through that. And hopefully the goal, you know, is that you get through that without doing yeah. too much damage. And you survive. And creating a personality that's going to be successful yeah. in life. But I, I don't have the, I wish I had the answer because I'm, I'm worried sick about this stuff with raising two daughters, like what that's going to look like. And I mean, these girls are so, I mean, they're 10 and they are absolutely brutal to each other. They, I mean, your daughters? they're ferocious the way these girls treat each other. At oh school. yeah. And so I, I don't know how you man, how you navigate that as a girl. Like I, it's insane to me. It's like boys just fight and get it over with, and then they're usually yeah. best friends. The, the, the way these ten year old girls act it's is vicious. Oh yeah. It's satanic. Yeah. It is in. It's, it's just, vicious. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I wish I knew the answer to this one because yeah. it's tough. But yeah. So, so you're you're finding yourself, and so I mean, how was like high school? Like, how did you get through high school without just destroying everything in your past? Yeah, or did you? Well, high school was actually really rough for me because I. So my mother and I weren't getting along, and I end up uh, moving in with my dad. He didn't live that far away, but I was 14 years old, and um, my mother and I were just fighting so much, and um, I was like, I want to go live with my dad, and she's. She was like, I tell you what, if you want to go live with your dad, you can, but you're never coming back. And she was like, I'm not going to do this ping pong thing that I see. Like she she had friends who had been through divorce and she saw that some of their kids were bouncing back and forth between mom and dad. Like, you know, oh, it's not working out with mom. So I'm going to go live with dad. It's not working out with dad. I'm going to come back to mom. And she was like, I'm not having it. She goes, if you leave, 
you're done. You're gone. Right. And okay. and I was like, bye, Felicia. <laughs> you know, I was like, see ya. You know, right. there was no love lost there. And um, she signed custody of me over to my dad. And my dad couldn't have been happier because then he didn't have to pay child support anymore. Right. right? So she was like, right. you be responsible for this one. I'll be financially responsible for that one. And we'll be done. And that's wow. how it went down. And um, I moved in with my dad and my stepmom and my stepbrother. He was He's five years younger than me. I hate calling him my stepbrother because I just love him dearly. But um, we we have different parents. And, but, uh, I yeah. I thought you were going to tell me and, another messed up story. I was, like, all ready to hear something else no. messed up with the you know what? I was so lucky. I know, right? Because it could have gone very badly. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> um, it didn't. It didn't. My my stepmom was a very sweet lady, and um, she's 16 years younger than my dad. And so she was kind of cool, and she grew up in San Francisco as a hippie. You know, she was right. turn, You know, she was listening to Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix. Oh, yeah, and, hanging out at Hayden Ashbury. Just totally. Yeah. Loving she was, life, right. Oh, yeah, she was a super hippie chick, and she was really sweet, right? She's super, right. very sweet, and I I feel bad that she got me when I was at my worst. She got me when I was 14 years old and fucking, sorry, I don't know if you have swearing, but anyway. No, nope, um, no, let it go. I'm a sailor and okay. a fireman, so we hear it. We, we love it. Yeah, we, okay, we actually good. do better when there's swear words. We we, got, we, we understand swearing. those. Okay. Yeah. It's actually my first language is swear words. Yeah, mine, mine too. It's, it's not the best trait, but... No, I hear you. I hear you. But uh, I, I feel sorry for this woman because she got me when I was at my worst. I was absolutely pissed off at the world. And um, and I wanted to go live over there because when I would go over there and talk to her, she would listen to me. And she she was very compassionate and very – she kind of fed into this um, idea that I had of myself as being a victim. She kind of, she kind of you know, fed into oh, that a little bit. She found someone to buy on to your – Oh, for sure. The way you were yeah. At, yeah. I mean, I mean was, she was, was another. Was just the start of just like an enabling, another enabler totally. in your life? Yeah. Kind of, kind of, yeah. And, um, you know, she was really sweet to me. And I, I think she just was always trying to, um, she grew up with a critical parent. So she was the opposite. She was the loving and supportive, validating parent. Right. right. But I, I, right. I can see looking back, she's probably out of balance a little bit. Like, it's important to have boundaries, you know, and I, and I think that's what happens to a lot of us is that if we're raised with an extreme parent, we go the other way to the extreme. And, right. and it's, it's like, I'm never going to be like that. You know, I'm not going to be like my mom or I'm not going to be like my dad. And then we go to the extreme opposite, which is also unhealthy. Right. But, um, but, you know, she did the best she could. She got me when I was a total asshole and, you know, God bless that woman. She, she hung in there for a while. Um, and, um, but I had to go to a whole different school. And so I, you know, started out going to the school, um, where, and I, and I was living on the wrong side of the track. So I was going to the school coming from a really crappy neighborhood and with, and my dad, you know, God bless my dad. He was, he's a good man and all that and always worked. And, but he was extremely, uh, frugal, let's call it. And, um, I was not prepared to go to this school where there was kids with a lot of money. And right. so I was, I was showing up in these rags basically. And, um, you know, I just felt very less than I just, I didn't have enough. 
I didn't have my right. clothes weren't I didn't have enough clothes and I, you know you had to look you know high school is all about superficial stuff right and I had none of it I had that's none all of it, it. <laughs> that's all that's all, that's all it is, is. Is, yeah. is is that is that having that feeling because I know that feeling and it wasn't that oh, I was terrible. raised with no money but it's look it is what it is I had the family I had and they did the best they absolutely could do with me but all, it seemed like all my friends were all super rich and so it was oh. you know it's like oh let's go to the surf shop and I'm gonna buy it. you know it was like okay I'm just, you know it's tag like, along. It was, there was some bumper yeah there's was, was some bumper yeah. stuff going on but that's just what it was I mean I yeah. that's hard. Right. It's hard it not hard. to feel it absolutely hard. Yeah, it's hard not to feel less than around people who have a lot of money and I didn't have any and that was the uh, looking back I learned that um I was judging my insides by other people's outsides. Like on the outside they looked good and therefore I defined my value, like who I was on the inside based on what they look like and I was just coming up short, you know. So right. I mean there's this reoccurring theme that I'm just not good enough. You know, right, um, right. and and I just kept uh, having that same experience. And then I my solutions were always the same. I was trying to get some boy to pay attention to me and trying to get that external validation any way I could. And then the drugs and alcohol to manage my feelings. It was just a train wreck. And high right. school was high school was not a good experience for me. I, I ended up, um, you know not shockingly wanting to leave my dad's house. And so my senior year, I went back to go live with my mom for a while. And um, she and I like started fighting again. And um, one day, you know, I'm 17 years old and um, she was yelling at me about my mom had a way to do everything. And her way was the only way. And her way was always very specific and I was never doing it right. And one day we got into this fight over in the laundry room and in the center of the washing machine, like was this round hard plastic disc and um, that would sit in the center. And we started arguing about something and she picked it up and she hit me with it. And I held up my forearm and the grooves from the bottom of this plastic thing um, were scratched, like were, were scratching my arm. And um, I think I was holding like a wet towel or something in my hand and I hit her back with it. And we actually like got into this physical fight and I just, and it was a very narrow hallway and I was like literally trapped in a corner and I just like threw her aside and left. And I'm, I, I left home at 17 and a half and I never went back. So, I mean, (laughs) I, I, I Warren, we talked earlier, and you're like, eh, not much happened in my childhood. I was not prepared for this story. You should have told me that I should be sitting down the whole time. You didn't. <laughs> Don't worry, Rick. It has a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We, I'm like, I, I, I got to get to the happy you're ending. You're all traumatized. I'm all anxiety. I have too much anxiety right now. <laughs> you have anxiety. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, let me just okay, so seventeen and a half. You you just you just fight your mom. Now no, what? It's terrible. Well, so you know, and I've always had I've always had a job. I've had a job since I was like twelve twelve years old. I was like babysitting for the neighbors, and then when I was in um, junior high, I had a paper route, and then when I was old enough to work at the mall, I had I worked must have worked in ten different stores in the mall. 
Um, so by the time I got into this fight with my mom, I was, I had a car, I had a job and I was like supporting myself already. So I was, I left, I didn't need to be there. And I couldn't, and I had this, I had this boyfriend, I got a boyfriend and, um, and I stayed with him and I, that's how I finished high school is, um, I, I, I graduated and barely, <laughs> right. cool. um, yeah. And then, uh, and then it was on because no more school and and so between high school I got sober at 25 so from 18 to 25 was a blur it was a ser- I never got arrested um mostly because I had a um a boyfriend that was a, a sheriff and uh I would give every time I got pulled over I would hand his business card with my driver's license and they would let me go so wow I got pulled over four times just hammered and they would either just let me go and let me drive away or they would follow me home um and then i don't remember what happened i I mean that's insane that they would ever let you just leave like what a different time it was i know twice that that would not happen today i know twice they (laughs) let me drive away oh my lord twice i can remember um once i was very close to home so they followed me home um, but yeah, twice they let me drive away. Hammered. Wow. Yeah. That's, I remember waking up good. one morning, one of the nights, um, <laughs> is a crazy story. So this girl and I were, um, at a bar downtown San Jose and we just got lit up and we get into my car and she's been dancing all night. She was like, a, um, she just been dancing all night and she was all sweaty, but she was wearing this, uh, this is so crazy. She was wearing this, uh, one piece lace jumpsuit thing under, okay. underneath this like jumper. It was, it was like shorts, but it was a jumper. She's like, okay. Oh my God, I'm so hot. I have to take this off. You have to pull over. So we pull over behind like this warehouse and she starts undressing. I'm like, I don't remember what I was doing, but I was like, whatever. So she's yeah. changing. And just as she is butt-ass naked, a cop pulls up behind us and turns on the floodlights. Oh, and I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, hurry up, get dressed, get dressed. And it happened too fast. The guy gets out of the car and he walks up to the car. So she just puts her, her like, um, jumper thing on top of her. And he's like, what are you guys doing? He yeah. totally thought we were lesbians oh, or something. <laughs> I'm like, I swear oh, to God. Lord. She was just changing. So I think he calls over another guy, and they have her step out of the car to put her jumper back on. She is butt-ass naked. Oh, of course And they, they both just stand there, and they watch her get dressed. And because I had this, because I had this, uh, my boyfriend's, I call him my boyfriend. He was married at the time. and <laughs> Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Super well, scandalous. Yeah, yeah, my married boyfriend who was a cop. I mean, why, of course yeah. he's married. I mean, why, the way yeah. the story goes, of course he was married. <laughs> of course he was married. <laughs> yeah, so I just handed him the business card, and they were like, okay, we'll let you go. So they they talked to us for a while. I don't even remember most of this. I just remember bits and pieces. I was that hammered. And she and I oh, got into man. some kind of argument, and I don't remember what happened. I wake up the next day, and everything that was in my purse was on the bottom of my I had this like little Ford Ranger everything was on the floor everything that was in the glove box was inside my purse I was like what is going on I walk out and there's this huge weed 
hanging out from the front of the fender and the hood of the car, oh like it got God. wedged in between there somehow. I was like, oh, right. my God, what happened? And that was not an uncommon experience where I woke up the next day and then I had to go ask my friends what happened. Yes. That was... I, 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 I know it. I, that's how I learned to drink in the military. And I would wake up and I would be, I'd have to like crawl. I I would, you know, slowly walk around the house till I found my wife and see what look I got from her. Because oh I God. had no recollection of what happened. And it was either, you know, good morning or you're the biggest asshole I know. Oh, my and God. And it was usually that one. It was and usually that yeah, one. I had no idea Hence what the happened. divorce. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, well, this poor woman had to put up with it for another 15 years. But, um, 15 years, wow. But we were married 17 years, so she said, you are too much for me. So you guys I, have I, been, I you, you guys were together for a long time before you had kids then. Oh, yeah, we, we were, we were high school sweethearts. Oh, my God. High school goodness. sweethearts, and we went through a lot. I mean, we, we, I mean, yeah, we, you know, through high school and through the military and, through the fire academy, like, you know, and then I set up this perfect life for us that I mm-hmm. absolutely tore it down, threw it into a trash can, and pushed on the street. That's what I did to our life. And Wow. Well, that's, you know, that's the nature of alcoholism and the disease, you know. It's just, we just burn it all down. Yeah. It's like, how many times was I told, you got to do this. You, you got to do this. You're going to lose your family. You're going to lose your job. Don't stop. Yeah. You have to make AA a priority. Make your sobriety yeah. a priority. I can't. Always an excuse. I can't. I have to work. I can't. I have my family. I can't. I can't until right. it was all gone. I mean, until it's it like, yeah. I mean, at the, my sponsor I met the first day, you know, 2010 or 2009, he told me, if you don't change your life and make AA a priority, you're going to lose everything. Who told and you I that? I it off. My sponsor. This guy that I oh, asked sponsor. my sponsor at the time. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, you're ridiculous. I have it all. House, kids, life, career, job that I worked my ass off for. And he said, you're going to yeah. lose it all. And yeah. it took about seven more years. And he was right. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Different story, different day. But back to you. and your <laughs> We'll get your story blackout. on my podcast. <laughs> you're back to your blackouts and your uh, – yeah. Yeah. So life. that was, yeah, that was, that story was just like an example of, you know, that's just how it was. It, it was, that's how it was right. from high school till I got sober when I was 25. And, um, you know, I didn't ever really have like a real relationship. I was, um, you know, I would, we'll call it dating, I guess. <laughs> I yeah. dated a lot, uh-huh. just a lot of frogs, but I was just a hot mess. Right. And I was always attracted to guys who were ambitious. So, uh, my crazy would come out and they would, you know, they would cut me, they'd tur- cut me loose. And, um, yeah. I just got to that point where I finally found somebody that I thought was my ideal. And we were dating like in a real, like a real, he was like my real boyfriend and I was right. losing him because of my drinking. And, um, on my 25th birthday, you know, one more time I, you know, I would, I would get so violently ill, um, you know, which I now understand with alcohol poisoning, I would just get so violently ill that, um, I would have something called petechia and petechia is when you throw up so hard, you get little broken blood vessels all Mm -hmm. around your eyes. It's Um, it's actually very, it's very, it's like a new thing. It's like coming in to fashion. All the girls love petechia. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, it totally oh, blows it, out every blood vessel around your face. I mean, it looks like it's oh, yeah. crazy. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was just straining like, so hard, right? Straight, yeah. That was a common occurrence. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I was losing this boyfriend and I had had a sales job and I was, um, I was losing that too. And my world was crashing down. I didn't have any girlfriends and my family had long disowned me. And, um, you know, I was in this nice apartment, but I was going to, I was quickly going to be losing that too. And, um, the way, what happened was, is I, listen, I had, I wanted to be somebody else but me my entire life. And I was right. always trying to find the secret. I was, um, I was introduced to like Tony Robbins and this idea that if I could change my mind, I could change my life, but right. I couldn't stop drinking. And I was a big pot smoker too. So I could, I couldn't stop drinking and I couldn't stop um, smoking weed. And that was always like, my number one goal on all these, uh, I would do like these goal setting workshops and that was always like my number one goal. And I, I just couldn't stop until I met these two two guys, um, that were in recovery and they were both customers. Um, I used to sell, uh, uh, transportation services for this freight forwarding company. And uh, so I was dealing with a lot of people like in shipping and receiving typically, typically men, and um, these two guys were super nice. They were both sober, and you know we get to know each other over time. And they, and they never drank. And I would, you know, share my crazy stories. I would call them episodes. I'd like go out and have like these crazy episodes, and I would sh- share with them what was going on. And they were like, right. uh, yeah, you know, they would share their stories, and then they just had something I wanted, and. You know, this guy, Mitch, sort of informally told me what the steps were about. I had never read them before, and he had a copy in his office and gave me the test. You know, are you an alcoholic? That blue oh, form, yeah. the, the uh, questions. You, that, that's one of the only tests I got an A-plus on. <laughs> I know. Isn't that funny? I, I got all the Talking. answers right on that test. <laughs> isn't that amazing? We're such overachievers. <laughs> I know. Gosh. So in everything in my life, I'm always trying to, you know, whatever. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. yeah, you got the test, you passed. You so passed I the alcohol test, test. Passed it, yeah. And um and then um and then Randy took me to my very first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous that was for me. And funny story, a little side note, when I was fourteen years old my mom dated this guy who was an Alcoholics Anonymous and um he took us to this um picnic. It was like an AA picnic. And uh, there was this old guy sharing his story, and he had a very unique story of, you know, he used to get drunk with his um, this little parakeet named Petey, and he would put a little thimble of booze, and this uh-huh. bird, Petey, would, would drink the booze and get drunk and then start chasing the dog around the house. And um, he was super <laughs> funny and very, like... So fast forward uh, 11 years, I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous, I go to this meeting, and there's this old guy, and he's telling the story about how he used to get drunk with his bird, oh Petey, and I was like, does this guy speak at every AA meeting? I was so confused. <laughs> he must be their mascot. Him and Petey are the AA mascot. <laughs> yeah. He must be like the AA president. I don't know who yeah. he is. <laughs> yeah, so it was really kind of, it was really kind of funny, and um so, yeah, so anyway, start going to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings because I was so desperate to be different. And I had tried, listen, I had lived in the self-help section at Barnes & Noble, and I bought all the books. I did everything they said, but I couldn't stop drinking. So I started right. going to AA meetings, and um, 
I uh, I attacked the steps the same way I attacked drugs and alcohol. Like I used the same level of intensity towards the 12 steps. They said, you just need to pursue right. it as much as you did the drugs and alcohol. So I did. Right. And, um, you know, the great thing about these two guys that I met is that they turned me over to the women. They said the men work right. with the men and the women work with the women. And I am so grateful Absolutely. that they were such fine, upstanding men of Alcoholics Anonymous that, um, you know, they, but you know what? The prospect scared me to death because all of my validation came from the outside, right? I used men to right. uh, validate me and um, I had spent so much time and energy decorating the outside. I felt like there was nothing on the inside. I didn't have any girlfriends left. I was terrified terrified and um i so but i kept hearing like you need to pick a sponsor and you have to do this four step and um i kept hearing that a lot of people go out over the four step and i was terrified of relapsing so um you know i this boyfriend and i didn't work out i moved in with my mom i was going to meetings all the time and and i was looking i was looking for a sponsor and the way i chose my sponsor is um the women at first, I don't know, maybe it was the meeting I was going to, but they weren't really receptive to me. You know, I was like, I was I was super underweight and suffering from, like, depression. I didn't know that that's what was going on. I was bleach right. blonde. I, and I feel like that happens a lot, that it's like, yes, it's alcohol, it's AA, and it's supposed to be inviting, but women are still women. And I see that attitude where, you're like you said, where they weren't, like, it probably took some time for them to warm up to you, right? Like it's like, and where it seemed like the guys are are it's much it's way easier to get in. I feel like if you just watch the guys versus the women when they're brand new, and I don't know. I think it's just uh, well, what do you think it is? is I it don't, an acceptance thing, or is it? I, I, I hate know. to say that. I, um, I could see where you're coming from, but um, I think it was the particular meeting I was going to because. Um, the women in my circle are extremely welcoming and and uh, nurturing and supportive to the new women that are coming in. So I think it was just oh, that particular good. meeting. I don't think I understand what you're saying about some women can be like that, but um, if you if and that's why I think it's so important that if you don't find your people at the first meeting, keep going to different meetings. Right. Or just keep going. You know, I would encourage anyone, if you don't find your people at the first meeting, go to another one. And if you don't find them there, keep going to different meetings until you find your people because they're there. Right. I mean, listen, right. it's yeah. not – AA is not the hotbed of mental health, right? It's right. like no. you – it's not Well Persons Anonymous. It's right. Sick Motherfuckers <laughs> Anonymous is what it is. It's what it, absolutely what it should be called. Uh, yeah, it, it should be called is. Sick Motherfuckers Anonymous. <laughs> yeah. Like if we could put a board together, I will say yay to that name change because okay. it's absolutely it's, it's absolutely true. You're just right? finding like for me, I just had to find someone that was a little more stable than me to get me through the steps. You know, and it's like right. You just, you just find you just you just navigate your way through the rooms till you find someone yeah. that you click with, and then you just need to be so there. desperate for the solution that you're willing to do anything. And I was, I was so That's desperate. It. To be That's sober, exactly right. I was willing to ask a woman to help me. And right. I, this woman remembered my name the second time she met me. And I was like, oh, my God. Rick, I got to tell you, it was like the skies parted and the rays of sunshine were coming down on her head. And it was like, oh, this is my I, sponsor. I know, no, I know. That means so much. 
Yeah. It means so no, much listen. when you go to a meeting and the person's like, hey, I know yeah. you. Like, yeah, she was like, hi, here. Arlena. I was like, what? I was shocked. So, And she was yeah. so sweet to me. And so I was like, oh, my God. So I asked her. I asked her. You know how I asked her. I asked her if she would listen to my inventory. And oh, nice. you know what yeah. she's. You know what she said to me? She said, I would be honored. She would be honored. And it still brings tears to my eyes because I was so desperate for anybody to hear me that I could see in her eyes that that she was going to listen to my stories, right? Right, And um, she said, I would be honored to sponsor you. She goes, but we're going to start with step one. And so oh, I was like, okay. I love her already. I've even met her. I, love I know. Her. And you know, 25 years later, we're still friends. It's incredible. Yeah, I, mean, I just celebrated about... 24 years. And, wow. And she, Happy birthday. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah, on the 23rd. Yeah, today's the 20. What's the date? The 26th? Today, 26th. Yeah. Yeah, so three days ago, I celebrated 24 years. And, wow. uh, yeah, this woman, Kim, was at my, you know, she was my very first sponsor, and she came to my, I had a little anniversary dinner that she yeah. came to. There was about 30 people there, and, um, yeah, she showed up for me then, like, she, you know, she shows up for me now like she did then, and right. uh, she and I attacked those steps. I did everything she told me to do. Um, you know, I was the first, I, you know, it was kind of trippy, Rick. I would, I would, uh, before I got sober, before I met her, I would tell my business to anybody who would stand still long enough because right. I just wanted someone to hear me and validate me and give me positive feedback. And, right, right, um, right. but when I talked to her, I could see it in her eyes that she got my kind of crazy and she wasn't judging me. Right. And she you. She did understand me, and for the first time, I felt like somebody heard me. And after I felt heard, I stopped telling everybody everything. She was just magical for me. And I learned so much that first year. I did the whole 90 and 90. I got a service commitment. I did all my steps. I I did the inventory, which was magical, by the way, Um I want to say something real quick, and I don't mean to interrupt yeah. you, but if anybody is listening and they're wondering, how can I stay sober, listen to this story. Yeah. I mean, it's just like it, it's, it, it, it brings emotion in me to hear how like it worked for you because yeah. you did what was asked of you. That's oh, yeah. the thing. It's like I can't stay sober. You know, people don't understand, and my my story is different. And it's no, your story is not different. Your story is just like ours, right? Yeah. The insides are not right. They need drugs or alcohol to make them work, mm-hmm. and we have the solution if you're ready. Like it's so, like I've relapsed multiple times, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I hate to say I relapsed. Part of my story. It doesn't have to be. I just wasn't ready. I wasn't Listen. ready to do what you do. You know, like, it's it's just, I love yeah. the story. It's incredible. and It's a, it's a common experience, though. A lot, it's a common experience. And um, I'll tell you, um, it took me two years. Um, I didn't even tell you. I, I bottomed out because I got in a big fight with my sister. Um, and we had a horrible night. I um, I hurt her and was had that incomprehensible demoralization that the book talks about the next day. Mm-hmm. But Rick, it took me two years. It took me two years from that day when I bottomed out to the time 
I met Mitch and Randy um, right. at work, and they took me to my first meeting. There seems to be like this two-year period or longer sometimes where um, the idea of being an alcoholic needs to sink in, and we need yeah. to experience. We need to have the awareness that um, we are powerless and that our lives are unmanageable. It's part of the process, right? That we have to shoot all our angles to see if we can control it. And once we realize we cannot, you know, that we lose the power, we've lost the power of choice, that's when we surrender, that's when we um, become teachable, and that's when we start to say, even though I don't understand how these steps are going to change my life it doesn't matter if i understand it or not my way is not working right well oh, right? your story gives me goosebumps <laughs> and i'm sorry i interrupted you it's just i want, oh, I want no. people to hear what you're saying because it's so yeah. important it's like don't yeah. get past the part where i mean i don't want people to, to miss the part where you had nothing left except i had nothing to try to work the steps like it was your last option, and you did what you were told. And just it's incredible. I did. Like, it's absolutely incredible. I did. Yeah, I and I'm so lucky that um, you know I just and I think I think what was interesting is um, you know they tell you when you're you know listen everything after you, when you put the bottle down or when you put the pipe down or whatever it is that you put down whatever it is that you're fixing on whatever takes you out of reality or the present moment even. Um, it becomes about managing your feelings. You know, why is it they I started ask they started asking me these questions like, what is it you're trying to change? What is so intolerable about the present moment that you feel the need or compulsion to pick something up? And right. for me it was about stuffing everything that had happened, the sexual abuse, the divorce, the not feeling good enough at the high school the feeling guilty about the drinking, the feeling guilty about how I treated my mother and my sister and my dad and my stepbrother and my stepmom and thinking I was this horrible person my entire life. And, you know, I was stuffing all those feelings. And so it took a long time to unpack it and then to make peace with it and to forgive it and to realize right. I'm I'm just human and I was just doing the best I could and the people in my life were just doing the best they could with what they had and the truth of the matter it wasn't it wasn't enough nothing I did was enough pa- my parents didn't know it wasn't enough I just didn't have right. the information and I didn't have the capacity to be able to sit with a feeling and process it to resolution but in recovery, I did do all those things. I did find a way of, you know, that's why they call it a support group because I was supported in looking at everything that I was so ashamed of. I was able to unravel all the reasons, all the choices I made that were choices I made out of fear, you know, fear and ignorance, really, Um, not knowing how to manage all this stuff. So, um, yeah, so from from the first meeting to my most recent, it's been about being um, present and honoring my feelings, acknowledging them, sharing them, and um, accepting what is, you know, right. um, which is very, very pragmatic, right? It's very, um, it's very stoic to acknowledge what is actually happening not not wishing it was different right you know it's, the the uh, 
book talks about our serenity is in direct proportion to our level of acceptance. So my recovery right. has really been about uh, practicing acceptance of what is actually happening. That uh, so. uh, That's the hardest part for me, right? I mean, it's yeah. like to to – to 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 lower my to what's the, how can I say this to to lower my expectations of people right and yeah. to accept where I'm at right now mm-hmm. at what seven eleven on a Thursday I'm just mm-hmm. right here you know what I mean yeah. like I'm not I'm not a month away thinking about this I'm not thinking about how my like I'm just right now you know and yeah. it's all I can handle and it's it's enough for me right yeah. <laughs> it's, like, mm-hmm. it's enough and i just uh, incredible job like this is your your st- i can't i can't even imagine the amount of people you help like oh, to hear you. your you story know, i i'm sure it's like yes it's incredible like how random you. that you and i found each other just like yeah which was <laughs> hilarious right we we met on an Adam Carolla podcasting group, Facebook group. <laughs> right. Like, so really, I, was it random or was it meant to be? Well, as, you know what as, I mean? my, as my sponsor would say, was it odd or God? You decide. Was and that's how. <laughs> that's oh, what, he, he's totally always laying that, that on me. Yeah, he's always laying that on me. And he, he's I'm been so right going to use scenario. that. Oh, it's all yours. Yeah. Um, I love it. Wow. What an incredible story. I was not prepared for that, I'll be honest. I don't know what I was expecting. My expectations were somewhere else, and you blew them out of the water. It's absolutely so, great job. Thank you. I'm, I'm please. So, everybody, please, this is Rick Recovery Radio, but please tell us everything that you're doing right now with your stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, um, so we met on a podcasting um, class, and I've actually been podcasting for about a, um, a year, and um, my podcast is called the ODAT Chat, and ODAT stands for One Day at a Time because um, I, I just named it that because I actually go to a you're gonna you're gonna think I'm crazy or confirm I'm crazy, but I go to a 6 a.m. meeting every day that's called ODAT. Okay, and, okay I don't um, want to. I'm, I'm not a I'm not a one upper in my life, <laughs> but I, I go to a 5:30. So <gasps> do you really? 5:30, 6:30, and you know what's funny? It's Dude. packed. It's packed. Yeah, and yeah. Real quick, and I, I don't mean people? to interrupt you again. Oh, probably 30, at 35, if I'm weird. And like I said, the last time I'm going to interrupt you right now, but when I got my sponsor, he said I had I had no job. Okay, I was, you know, someone, you guys will hear my story later if you want, but I had no job, and he says, hey, I want you to go to the 5.30 a.m. meeting, and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> that's, that's sleep Lawyer time roll, for me, buddy. buddy. <laughs> I, got no, I have nothing going on all day. I can make that 8 o'clock piece of cake. And he said, 5.30 a.m., and I want you to go to sit down next to this one person. And I said, mm-hmm. how will I know who that person is? And he says, you will know. And that was two years ago. And I've been sitting next to that guy for two years following orders. But anyway. Wow, that's meeting. amazing. I don't mean to interrupt you guys. Last time I'm going to interrupt no, you. No, well, there's ODAT. something. No, no, that's that's okay. No, there's something about early morning that sort of, you know, brings out like the people who are super hardcore about their recovery, yes. right? And Absolutely. there's something about that early morning hour that people just don't have time to, like, we haven't had our coffee. It, there's, it just cuts the bullshit, right? People are just yeah. very real at super early. But, um, you're, yeah, you're not, so, but you, I. If you're, not, if you're not trying hard in your recovery, you're not getting up at 530 to make a 6 a.m. meeting. <laughs> That's seriously. not your priority. 
So, right. yes, you have people in there who care about their recovery normally. And they're usually Absolutely. people that are about to go to work because they're, you know, yeah. uh, a worker among men and they're doing their jobs. Anyway, for sure. Yeah. So, ODAT. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so ODAT Chat is my podcast. I've been doing it about a year and um, it's been an amazing experience. And I'll just tell you one quick story. Um, so in recovery, they, I remember when I first got sober, they said, if you've been sober long enough, you'll go to a lot of funerals. And um, two years ago today, actually, a girlfriend of mine was in a terrible car accident and she died. And she was at ODAT. At, she left the meeting at 7 in the morning and she was dead two hours later. And oh, it, I had actually, this is actually my second podcast. My first podcast, I'm in, I'm in high-tech sales. I was doing this um, high-tech sales podcast, but it had been on my heart to do one about recovery and I was kind of hemming and hawing uh, because of the traditions. I was like, I don't know if I really should be doing this, but it was on my heart. And after my friend Gina passed away, I was like, you know what? There is no later. Life is too short. And I have this, this, um, this feeling in my heart that this is something I want to do. So I started doing it. And, um, I started with my girlfriend and one of my friends, Katie, she was, I think the second interview that I ever did. And, um, on January 3rd, um, Katie got sick and, um, she was at my house New Year's Eve. She, she and I both had like this little cold thing going on. Um, but hers turned into pneumonia. She's 40 years old. she, it turned into pneumonia and then she became septic and she died 12, 12 hours after being admitted to the hospital. Oh man. And she, yeah, this... so she was my second podcast guest and, um, her sister, um, had never listened to her episode and Katie's yeah. story. Um, her sister was able to hear her story and, um, her sister, had been carrying this guilt around because Katie's sister um, had turned her in and Katie lost her kids because of her drug addiction. But in the podcast, Katie talked about how she had forgiven her sister and was actually grateful to her sister because, um, because she didn't have her kids. Um, You know, she, her, her kids were fine. Right. Um, because she probably wow. would have put her kids in danger. And her sister yeah, reached out to me after to say, thank you so much for doing this podcast because um, she didn't know that her sister had forgiven her. Wow. And so it it's, was, I mean. It's like you could stop right now. You've done your job. Right. You literally, like you, God gave you a job to do and you did it. Like it's just. Yeah. And it's so amazing yeah. just the things that have come out. I, You know, people get on the podcast, and listen, you're doing the same work, right? People will come on your podcast, and they will tell their stories, and you don't know the good that you're, the good that you're going to do for somebody else. You know, your message could get out there right when somebody needs it. Rick, right. your, your story is going to come out, and it's going to touch somebody. Right, They're going to find you right when they need you the most. You just never know. So I'm grateful that you and I are on this path together. Um, I'm I'm happy to support you in your podcasting journey. I think what you're doing is great work. And I'm excited to have you as a guest on my podcast as well. We'll, We're going to do this trade thing. And you can find my my podcast at odatchat.com or you can find it on iTunes. Um, Yeah, I will put a link wherever I can to that. Okay. (laughs) You can get as much... uh, 
as much uh, press as you can. Listen, absolutely incredible. Thank you so much. It's just I was not ready for this or prepared, and you blew me out of the water. <laughs> and thank you, thank you, thank, thank you so you. much for having me. I, I, I appreciate you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you. And listen, everybody, Rick Recovery Radio, because my good friend here, the name has been changed officially. So get your T-shirt. But um, <laughs> anyway, please like, share, pass it on, comment. Do whatever you do with these things so we can build a group so we can help as many people as possible. Until next time, God bless. Thank you.